You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There's a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for September 18th, 2015. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the skybox above the Carly Fiorina Lady Liberty Cosplay Fest, it's the professional left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. think she at that point she, uh, the drugs had started to kick in yeah. with the lady liberty and the sword and the S- scales scales and shiny everything shiny and yeah. wonderful and it's just great well i, I think yeah. the one the one question jake <laughs> tapper referring to the the republican for future generations <laughs> we're listening we're talking about the uh debate which was not a debate which took place on september 16th 2015 among 11 very ambitious people who uh, are trying to simultaneously knife each other and throw red meat to a bunch of uh, idiots. And, and we this this is the morning after it is. that we're talking about it this. It is. Yes. And I, I, I had to take some sedation. Well, and I do want to thank the listener yes. who had perfect timing. Yes. We received a bottle of rye whiskey. I did. In, in the P.O. Box Man, this week. Talk about mana from heaven. Small batch, very good rye whiskey. Tasty. And I noticed that uh, it had gone down during the debate quite yeah. a bit. It, it got... It got uh, <laughs> We're not going to count the shots, Drew no, Glass. No. We're just not going to do that. Uh, because I, I felt it, it was important. Uh, you were to, playing a drinking game, obviously. <laughs> well, I, I felt it was important uh, for future generations who will look back upon this that at least someone who is not Chris Matthews um, or a professional pundit, uh, actually slog through this pile mm-hmm. of shit. And it, I had to fortify myself slightly along the way. <laughs> uh, I, I want to congratulate you, first of all, Drew Class, for watching the whole thing. Uh, I was in homework zone for a lot of the time. That's my excuse was I did have children to <laughs> get prepared for the next school day. Uh, and But I did walk in and out, yes. and catch moments of it. And uh, I feel okay about that too because even Bernie Sanders turned it off. He did. He did. He had so, to wait. And I, I, I was on the Nicole Sandler show um, Thursday morning, mm-hmm. and uh, I made a joke that yeah, I watched the whole thing. You were dealing with uh, adolescent kids who yes. were being fussy and didn't want their homework. So essentially, we were doing the same job. We were doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> Except, I don't want to tell the truth. Except, yeah. I, well, except as the moderator, you would actually call them out if they told something that wasn't That was true. not true. I don't have to do that. It's optional. No, it's no, not. No, it's not. And you go to your room now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and basically, uh, our kids slash stepkids are um, much better behaved. <laughs> Well, because of the accountability factor. Exactly. That's the point, exactly. is they're better behaved because they know that there is a person over them that knows truth from fiction and, and cares about that. Yes. Well, and we'll mention it. That was, we'll that's the big something. difference. Yes. There, there are, if you see something, say something. Yeah. We do. Yes. There are plenty of people out there in the world um, watching this mess and I'm sure participating in it. I'm sure Jake Tapper knew goddamn well that... A whole lot of people standing in front of him answering his quote-unquote questions um, were just lying their ass off. And he felt absolutely no compunction or absolutely no responsibility for saying, I'm sorry, uh, Carly Fiorina. That's bullshit. That never happened. Yeah, there is no video of a baby wiggling and dancing on an operating table while a Planned Parenthood people wait to kill them for their brain. And talk about it. And That's over. not... That doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. Yeah. And yeah. Carly Fiorina was asked about that this morning, apparently, by George Snuffleupagus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she just looked him straight in the eye and said, nope, nope, it happened. Double down. Double, Double down. Double down. Yeah. And that's what the, the pig people respect. Someone who will look them straight in the eye, lie their fucking ass off uh, with great confidence and verve. And then talk about what a monster Barack Obama is and, and what a hellscape he has left for America uh, 
because he didn't clean up George Bush's mess fast enough, I guess. And yeah. so I. But Drift Class, I want to interrupt you for just sure, a moment sure, sure. and just point out someone emailed me, uh, Jamie over at Crypton Liar, emailed to say <laughs> that this debate, which, as you mentioned last night, CNN was treating like, you know, the invasion of Normandy oh, or the moon landing. A moon landing. The and, biggest thing ever. Uh, this debate had 22.9 million viewers. It was the most watched event on CNN in CNN's history. Yep. And uh, um, one of the other Crooks and Liars colleagues said, well, you know, not all of them were watching so that they could vote for Carly Fiorina or Donald Trump. A lot of them, as I said, were hate watching for the hate tweets. But uh, it's all the same to CNN. You know, it doesn't matter why you were watching. Well, and if you flicked across all the cable news networks, Mm -hmm. they were all they all had pregame. They all wanted a piece of that action. They all had a a count. And it was uh, it was like Walter Cronkite. They all had their own Walter Cronkite pointing at the rocket going in about three hours. That thing's going up. It'll be majestic. You know, (laughs) it was it was like, no, that that's. First of all, the debate itself is not news. It's not a debate, as you pointed it's out. It's not yeah. news. It, it, it's not a debate, but it's not news. Yeah. But a pregame in which we anticipate the non-news <laughs> is as far from news as you can possibly get. And they're all sitting there jerking off excitedly because, uh, let's face it, they live for this shit. This is yeah. what pays for their kids' orthodontia. So um, the rest yeah. of us yeah. are you – know, this, is, this is news by virtue of the fact that Chris Matthews decided it's news. And so there we are. I was just doing a little look up on Carly Fiorina and David Brooks. Oh, no. Yeah, just going back to the 2000. She's the candidate to watch, you know. Going, no, going back to 2012. Oh. Where she was on Meet the Press. And the only video I found of this was on Newsbusters. Oh. But it was David Brooks just bemoaning the fact that Barack Obama was such a negative candidate. Mm-hmm. And Carly Fiorina, yeah, he's the most negative ca- presidential candidate in my lifetime. Ever since ever forever. <clears throat> and uh, uh, the argument over, and she said, and she kept going on about how, well, you know, in the interest of factual accuracy, uh, Mitt Romney was in favor of the auto bailout. <laughs> I assume you, you people are journalists, so you would read the editorial. If you read his entire op-ed page, and then, you know, Rachel Maddow was on the show, weirdly enough, and said, actually, the op-ed is right here. And he said, um, Basically, if Barack Obama's bailout goes forward, the auto industry will die. Uh, and and that's right here in front of me. And yeah. it's right. But but David Brooks really getting sort of pissed off at E.J. Dion. Wow. Because E.J. Dion kept saying, but that's not true. That yeah. didn't happen. That's not true. And it really, really flustered him. So David Gregory had to sort of intercede and make sure that um, the centrist position was protected. <laughs> but, David Gregory had to say, "Well, you know, both sides." Yeah. But Carly, well, you know, that that was David. That was David Brooks's argument. It was sure Mitt Romney's a flip flopper and, and made up a lot of shit. But Barack Obama's really bad too. And both campaigns are just terrible. This is probably the most negative campaign I've ever covered in my lifetime. Wow. And you know, and Carly, but there's Carly, and and I, I had almost forgotten that Carly Fiorina was John McCain's economics advisor. Yes, yes, she and was. She's been yes, a failure. And a liar for a long time. So yep, and she's not going anywhere. I no. mean, this is not going to well, happen. So if I had to make a prediction, it's Friday's column would be David Brooks swooning over Carly. Fee. Yeah, probably. And what a reasonable person she is. I want to talk for a minute about the substance, because and why Donald Trump is doing so well. Yeah. And you had pointed out something about. Uh, the Republican Party since 1865 and putting it in some historical <laughs> perspective for us. Would you do that, Driftlass? Absolutely. Um, and I, I want to talk a little bit later about about why this wasn't a debate, what happened to me in high school. Yes, please. Uh, okay. Deeply. But, yeah, the, the Republican Party, uh, who who is basically now uh, – the Republican Party as it exists now is basically the remnants of the old Confederacy mm-hmm. with a bunch of evangelicals and snake handlers and gun nuts thrown in. But that's basically who they are. And so they're – their um, collective memory is the collective memory of losers, horribly, horribly put upon losers. They have been losers since the Civil War. They have lost everything ever, every step along the way ever since. They lost segregation. They, they lost the, the right to tell gay people to go fuck themselves. You know you can't get married. They lost the, the, the right to keep women you know, pent up and shut up and pregnant. Uh, they lose everything. These are losers. They are, they are our culture's worst, most 
despicable, pathetic losers. Well, and just talking about the people on that stage, they've lost on Obamacare. Yeah. They've lost on a Rand deal. They've lost on uh, gay rights, as you said. They've lost, uh, they've lost everything. They've they lost, lost on everything. They lost, they lost on election and re-election. That's, and why, re-election. They, that's yeah. why they're obsessed with the midterms. <clears throat> we yep. gave you a Congress, goddammit. Why couldn't you stop the tyrant? In, well, because he was the elected president of the United States and because mm-hmm. our government doesn't work that way. Uh, and because, fuck you, we, we filibustered everything in sight. So we tried our best. But these are Republicans that – whoever's left in the Republican Party – is a hardcore, wired-into-the-bones loser. And so what they want more than anything else is to get back that golden moment from 2004, just after George Bush was elected, re-elected, where they could put their finger in your chest and say, we won, you lost, shut up. And that was Rush Limbaugh. That was Rush yeah. Limbaugh. That was, yep. and, and they danced their little dance and they were delighted and they celebrated and they told us all to screw off because they won and we lost. And they were, Elections have consequences. Right. Yeah. And they were going to win forever. Karl Rove promised them they were going to win forever. What happened after that was all the roosters that every liberal had told them were going to come home to roost came home to roost. Mm-hmm. George Bush turned out to be every bit as vicious, incompetent, dry, drunk asshole as every liberal told him they would be. George Bush took – the Clinton surplus and pissed it away. George Bush got us into a war he couldn't get us out of and, and, and on lies. George Bush tortured people. Everything liberals said about that was true. So they have this horrible um, conflict. There's, they can't allow themselves to remember anything that happened before 2008 because they look like the saps and the imbeciles and the racists that they really are. That's the proof. The proof is all behind them. But they really, really want to recapture that golden moment from 2004 when it all was awesome. And that's what Donald Trump promises them. He doesn't promise them. He, he makes crap up. He makes no sense at all. He just invents, pulls shit out of thin air. But he promises them one thing they hunger for, just like Germans after World War I. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We will make mm-hmm. our country great again. That's what uh, yep. that's what Mussolini promised. We were Romans yeah, once. We yeah, were Romans yeah. once. We can be Romans again. He's making them the fascist par- uh, bargain. Elect me as your dictator, and I will make you a terrifying global power that everyone will respect again. Mm-hmm. And, the- and your and our party will be in charge. Yes, forever. Yep. yep. And and someone asked on a comment thread this morning uh, how it is possible that the Republican Party can ignore issues and be wrong and lying about everything all night long. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and and this gets back to your point about losing. Mm-hmm. The reason Republican part the Republican Party ignores substance is because they lose on substance. Mm-hmm. If people pay attention to their policy positions, the Republican Party is against equal pay for equal work. They are against a stated right to clean water. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to put yeah. that. Well, I want to say that again. Yeah. The Republican Party's position is against a stated right to clean water mm-hmm. for Americans. Mm-hmm. For Americans. For Americans. In this, the greatest country God ever made. Right. No, you do not. Ha- you do not have an implicit right to clean water. No. And, well, this. And is... most of the candidates on that stage want to re- increase the retirement age to seventy. Yeah, they want. And get... we'll tell you that they want to get rid of Social Security as you yeah. know it, of course. And so, the, because the GOP voter can't say well. This is crazy. I was incredibly wrong to vote for George W. Bush. You can never say I've been that. wrong my whole life because this is insane. These policy positions are wrong. What was They have to rely on lies about Planned Parenthood yes. and that they're protecting babies with their votes. They have to claim the win on ratings and polls. Right. Imaginary polls. I'm, I'm up in the polls all the time. Mm-hmm. And they have to rely on bullies to make them look like winners. And so it's Rush Limbaugh and Donald Trump being bullies that makes them feel like winners. And how many times have you seen on Twitter, Driftlap, where some teacotter has said, well, I saw a John Kerry bumper sticker in the gas station, so I rolled down my windows and turned up Rush. Yeah. That'll show them. Yeah. That's right, dude. You're a hero. You're (laughs) You're like Neil Armstrong. Commanding the D-Day invasion. That's how fucking heroic you are. Yeah. 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 And, but, but that is the mentality is we'll show those liberals. And politics is now make a liberal mad. If you make a liberal mad, you're a winner. Well, it's, it's um, I mean, I, I remind people that back in uh, my Chicago days mm-hmm. on, on WIND, 
um, the radio station WIND, the, the right-wing lunatic outlet in Chicago. Um, its motto on the billboards were was liberals hate us. Yeah. It's not – a don't bother talking policy to flatworms and gerbils. They don't understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. What they understand is I won, you lost. I shit on you, I win. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's Rush. That excuse me, I'm going to say Rush Limbaugh. It is Rush Limbaugh, yeah. but it's Donald Trump's whole approach to politics, and, it's and how, that's why he's the perfect Republican candidate. Yeah. It, well, Tell how, me about your experience in the debate. I'm interrupting you. Oh no, no, that's okay. Along. You had high school debate. Yeah. Uh, you had a really good story you told me this morning. <laughs> once upon a time, the, our listeners to hear it. Yeah. W- once upon a time, one thousand years ago, um, during the Carter administration. That's how long ago it was. Um, the uh, the good people of Illinois used to have a thing called a debate program. And my school, I was not, this is not a, myself I'm talking about, but my school, my school had been winning pretty regularly. And our varsity team uh, had a really good chance of, of making it to the nationals. You can get to the nationals in two ways, or you used to be able to. And, and this was one road to the nationals. They were well on their way. And they got, com- they got cleaned out in a quarterfinal round. And the teams that they would have taken on ahead of them, they'd beaten all year long. So this was pretty much a lock. But they got taken out. They got taken out by a team who lied, who falsified evidence. Now, in a debate round, you have a topic. (laughs) You have timers. You have um, a judge. And then you have a final uh, um, uh, judgment on who won and who lost based on evidence, presentation, logic, and so forth. And they lost because the opposing team just made shit up. They made up a study that didn't exist. They made up citations that didn't exist. And miraculously, this completely faked study said exactly what they wanted to say. So it was unbeatable. Um, And after the round, after it was all over, after my team had lost and then, you know, the the thing had proceeded as it it, uh, did, somebody bothered to dig out the fact that, you know what, there is no such study. And the consequences were the school that had the team with the falsified evidence, was suspended. So they just made up a study and pretended that, oh, no, there's this study, and here are our yeah. talking points from a, an academic study yes. that actually didn't exist. A blue-ribbon study that did not exist. They, they, wow. they, and their whole case was based on this academic study that did not exist at all. And uh, somebody did the research shortly thereafter, it seemed a little suspicious. In fact, one of our one of the people on our school's team said, "Could you show me that study? You've been talking about it all year long." And the person said, "No, it's under my bed at home. I don't have it with me. But you know, here's the here are the citations. Here are the quotes. You know, that's the best I can do." It turned out he and the team were lying. He got his scholarship taken away, and the school was suspended. There were actual consequences in a real debate to being caught lying. That's why what you watched on Wednesday night was not a debate because everybody was lying. Jeb Bush was lying. Carly Fiorina was lying. Rand Paul was lying. And I was just taking notes and sipping whiskey going up. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. Um, ben Carson. I don't, I don't know if what you can call what he was doing lying. I think he was just high because <laughs> what he was saying was making no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moderator, the quote unquote moderator felt absolutely no responsibility for saying, I'm sorry, Carly Fiorina, that Planned Parenthood video doesn't exist. I'm sorry, Jeb Bush, your brother did not keep us safe. Mm-hmm. Um, except, you know, he kept us safe except for that whole nine 11 thing and Katrina and the war he led us into and, and, and the deficit. And I the mean, deficit. I, I, I consider that deficit and that spending away of the surplus to be a direct attack on the United States of America and its security. Well, Jeb, Jeb Bush stated as fact that um, there is no measure, there's no single thing where we're better off than we were six years ago. Wow. Which is just astonishingly uh, a lie. Yeah. Uh, ben Carson would like two minimum wages. Because ben, <laughs> I heard this one. Because Ben Carson doesn't understand what the word minimum means. Minimum. Uh, ben Carson is, is sad because the Air Force can't do what it used to do a few years ago. Because apparently Obama repealed the laws of aerodynamics. Yeah. Uh, and it just went on and on like that. Um, one lie after another after another. And that is that is why Carly Fiorina, in one sense, won the debate. Because yeah. yeah. she looked 22 and a half million people in the eye and fucking lied her ass off for three hours. And then the next day, doubled down on her lies. And at no point in this process 
Do any of the quote unquote journalists involved feel that it's their responsibility in any way to fact check her? Yeah, or no. Call her out. Well, we have the top ratings of any show we've ever put on in the history of our network. So we won. And we don't have to question what anyone said because we got what we wanted out of last night. I got to say the best question, there, there are two things to pay attention to. The best single question came from um, <laughs> bleached zombie Hugh Hewitt. Uh, I'm sorry, conservative intellectual heavyweight Hugh Hewitt, who got in like two questions. He's an intellectual. He's an intellectual. And I've heard, <laughs> yeah, I know that because. an entertainer, but uh, Hugh Hewitt, he's a real thinker. Yeah, because you know? he has smart guy glasses. And I've, I've heard a lot of people uh, on television who invite him on their show tell me. Like Chuck Todd, tell me that he's a very smart guy. So he must, that must be true. Uh, Hugh Hewitt basically said, um, any of you people would make an awesome president and Hillary Clinton sucks ass. So why don't you talk about that among yourselves? <laughs> that was his question. That was the best question of the night. Mm-hmm. Well, that was, that was the most <laughs> memorable one. But, and here's, here's why Donald Trump won. Uh, because I swear to God, at least half the questions, if not more, began with the words, Donald Trump said, <laughs> yeah. Now yeah. react to that. Donald Trump said, now react to that. And if half of your questions are asking people to react to what one person on the stage said, that mm-hmm. person owns the stage. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody knows it. So um I I expect um Chris Christie's will go up a little bit, Jeb will come down a little bit, Donald Trump will stay where he is or go up or down a little bit, Ben Carson will fall off. Carly Fiorina is going to be their new Margaret Thatcher. If I had to make a prediction today, I would say that, that, that David Brooks's column on Friday will be a long masturbatory elegy to the awesomeness that is America's Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> if I had to predict. Or about humility. I'm not really sure which. Oh, um, God. But it's, it, is, it is like watching um, people punch each other out in a foreign language from another country. And you're trying to figure out what their form of government could possibly be that would let them behave in this completely bizarre, uh, reckless, insane way. Yeah. Even Rand Paul lied. <laughs> you know, um, Rand Paul said a, a very true thing. I got to give him credit. Rand Paul said, essentially, the Iraq war was a, a mistake. I was against it. And foreign interventions are stupid uh, for the most part. And, and we should just stay the hell out of the Middle East because every time we poke our nose in there, we make things worse. Yeah. Good for you. He says, you know. We should do wars constitutionally and only with congressional approval, you know, like Reagan did. <laughs> like, okay, well. You... I think your tweet said, oh, I mean FDR. I FDR. Sorry. <laughs> uh, like I said, it was the worst episode of Face Off I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, for, for those of you who don't know, Face Off is a reality show, a very good reality show, actually. Mm-hmm. Where it's one you really like? I do. I actually, I actually do. because they are they're artists. They're it's artists. An art competition. Yeah, it's a makeup yeah. competition where you you're given a science fiction or fantasy or horror topic, mm-hmm. and you are required in a very short, like over a two day period, to create um, prosthetics and makeup for a model to look like a strange alien beast. And by God, that's what I was watching. <laughs> I was watching yeah, a whole bunch yeah. of people in freak makeup pretending to be something they're not. Um, and, uh, yeah, Carly Fiorina has a nice long track record of destroying everything she touches. So um, – but, again, that's not the, that's not the burden of uh, journalists. Apparently journalists don't do that anymore. They don't ask people questions and call them when they lie. Uh, I, I guess that's my job and your job, Miguel, because <laughs> it should be someone's. I know that. And clearly it's not Jake Tapper's job or Chuck Todd's job. Uh, I want to steer away from the debate for uh, a couple of other issues that came up this week. Please. Uh, I don't want to forget about the Joe Biden interview with Colbert no. that happened after we recorded last week talking all about Bible Bitch. Yeah. Uh, and whether Bible Bitch should continue or not. And um we heard you. You put in our notes. We heard from a thousand atheists. I think that's a little extreme. We heard from uh, more than five atheists. We heard from who said, several. Bible bitch is awesome, and we love Bible bitch. So thank you for writing that feedback. Yeah. Uh, but the Joe Biden interview with Colbert to me uh, was such a wonderful uh, counter to the whole Huckabee gay marriage in Kentucky mm-hmm. debacle. Because here were two people who have genuine faith yep. and have had genuine suffering uh, and and been to Gethsemane 
in their own hearts. And uh, <laughs> how could we ought to look that up? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> look, look it up, Mike. Yeah. Um, and and they just spoke with such uh, humility and understanding that what carried them through was something greater than themselves mm-hmm. without preaching. Right. No evangelizing. No evangelizing. No. no. And uh, that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. it and, and I also wanted to point out something. I, I'm thinking about writing a book um, about uh, funerals and how to do a funeral uh, if you're not a spiritual person, if you are a spiritual person, if you f- believe in God, if you don't, but uh, kind of a guidebook to how to approach uh, planning a funeral either for yourself or for a loved one uh, based on where you are on a spectrum of belief, not belief, rationality, <laughs> irrationality, whatever you want to call it. Uh, to give people questions and options, because um, I don't think the United States is prepared for what is going to happen in the next 15 to 20 years in terms of the number of people who are going to die. No, no. And, uh, you know, the baby boom happened within a framework of 1946 to 1960, 63, depending on where you are in the family structure. We are a boomer. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so that period of time, uh, you know, all these babies were born uh, and and death tends to spread itself out a lot more than birth in that in that boom sense. Right. There were a lot of baby boomers who died in car accidents or from drug overdoses or from whatever in younger years. Mm-hmm. But we are still going to face uh, crowded funeral homes yes, we in are. some parts of the country yes, like we had crowded Uh, maternity wards in 1946. There are going to be places where it's going to be hard to fit in a burial. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're prepared for the emotional toll um, that that's going to take on uh, the zeitgeist of this country. No, because boomers are immortal. Immortal. (laughs) That's why they can can use up everything because they're... Right. Um, and I, the only thing I can, that's a really good point. The only thing I can think of that might parallel it, and it's a poor comparison, but I think it gets at what you're saying, is the rise of spiritualism uh, during the Civil War. Oh, yeah. Po- post-Civil War. And, and also um, there was a little bit of that after World War One as well, but more Civil War. The, the seances and, uh, yeah, just uh, everyone wanted to speak to the dead because there had been such a ripping out of young life mm-hmm. from uh, from the population. And now we're going to have the same kind of, uh, like you say, ch- change. There's going to be, something's going to change. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the baby boomers invented the lifestyle. <laughs> so there's going to be a death style that's going to come to the surface mm-hmm. for sure. But, uh, how that unfolds and whether people are really prepared for it. And to me, this conversation that Joe Biden had with Stephen Colbert, who have both faced uh, Joe Biden in several instances has faced the death of, of loved ones yeah. uh, in a completely unexpected way. And, uh, and Colbert, both of them lost, you know, family members in, in accidents in a completely unexpected life changing way. And, clung to um, a power higher than themselves and don't preach about it. So, But uh, the results, I mean, they talk about the results. I mean, how yeah, they that, do. It's, yeah. it's really hard to argue um, whether you believe or not right. that what they believed wasn't able to help them heal themselves. Right. You can't argue with someone else's experience. Right. You can argue with whether... Uh, you know, you can argue the sky god argument if you want to. This, your, you know, your sky friend or whatever. However, people insult faith that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I understand the anger that some atheists feel about our culture and how um, lacking in an acceptance of a diversity and separation of church and state that our country has, and and segments of our country that are just bigoted. Uh, that anger is justified, but. Uh, you cannot argue with Joe Biden's experience. You cannot argue with Colbert saying, look, with God's help, I raised my mother right. <laughs> because she'd lost everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she raised me. I raised her. So um, 
I just found that to be a wonderful counterpoint to the whole Kim Davis thing of, you know, I'm suffering for my faith. Look at this. Yeah. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah. And Joe Biden saying, I really shouldn't be talking about this. Other people have suffered way more than I have. I have so much support. I have so many friends. I have so many people around the country praying for me. Mm-hmm. And there are people who've lost everything and have nothing. And I'm I'm not worthy to have this kind of attention drawn to me is what he said. Um that kind of humility. I still don't think he should run for president. No, but <laughs> no, no. We both want him to be Democratic National Committee chair. Yeah. And bring his debate game. Yeah. <laughs> all of the networks, right? Uh-huh. Can you get a load of these guys? My God, my God. <laughs> Look up in the sky, wave your hands. And say, really? These guys are insane. <laughs> well, and I don't think we have to worry about this whole uh, demographic bubble much longer because I believe – I heard Donald Trump say he's going to replace death with something awesome. <laughs> I'm going to replace death with something yeah, terrific. Something huge. Something die. huge. We're going to get rid of death altogether. We're going to replace it with oh, something we're huge. Gonna, we're replacing it. It'll be <laughs> awesome. It'll be huge. Uh, I also wanted to point out um, the story of the high school clockmaker. Yes. Ahmed. Uh, who's a hero. Ahmed is a hero uh-huh. uh, these days. Uh, and uh, he's had he had a horrible day and a great day yes. on the same day. And uh it was funny because, you know, of course, he got he got a T-shirt from NASA that flew in space. Yeah. He's going to the White House. But he kept saying, MIT, I'm going to MIT. Yeah, that I'm was... going to do an MIT. I'm going to be at MIT. Uh-huh. I'm going to be at MIT. It's like, all right. You, you know exactly where your tribe is. And he was invited to Twitter and Facebook yeah. internships. And I'm going to MIT. <laughs> all right. Good for you, buddy. But uh, one of the funnier takes on this was uh, I saw a black and white picture. Uh, on the Twitter of uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak over uh, a circuit board, black and white, very, very early. Um, and it was person of Syrian descent working on something that looks suspiciously like a bomb. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. Yep. It, it, you know, there, I wish we had more stories like this. I wish they had, they, I wish we didn't have to have the arrest portion. Yeah. I wish we just celebrated people who were uh, smart and nerdy and pursuing their awesome weirdness or coolness whatever it is um but but again this is the difference between the parties because bobby jindal had to say oh no you know what we really need to do is be very careful about racial profiling i mean on a debate instead of saying this kid is awesome and they made a horrible mistake why can't everyone agree on that right the the republican party seems to feel that even if they are being obscenely wrong they have to oppose as someone else on Twitter said, wow, this Barack Obama guy sounds like an awful person. Yeah. <laughs> well, and speaking of being obscenely wrong, yeah. uh, if I may uh, spend one minute. Marco Rubio? Uh, no. no. Um, no. Casey Watts? Uh, yeah, it, this was a banner. Well, it's always a banner week in both siderism in America, Blue Gal. Mm-hmm. Both Take siders- one minute to talk about this week in both siderism. It, it's awesome. Uh, the first one was David Brooks in the New York Times. Um, just very upset with both parties, both political parties and their crazy populism and how both sides, both sides, both sides. Um, then was Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. You know, again, this is the uh, paper of record for the United States it is is a bastion of both siderist bullshit. That, if you wonder where this comes from, if you wonder where Crazy Uncle Liberty gets this, it's because these people poured into the drinking water every fucking day. Mm-hmm. Um, then the number one uh, public interest show on, on television – Chuck Todd, I, I remembered distinctly that he had played out the mouse circus with a nice little both siderist take on everything. And by God, they, they didn't have the transcripts up for four days. Way to go, meet the press. Um, but they got him up. And yes, the, the last little segment that they had where they were exchanging anything of interest was um, Sarah Fagan, uh, who was Karl Rove's um, hitman, who was a White House political, a Bush White House political operative. And a Karl Rove stooge who is never identified as anything other than a political consultant. Wow. Um, so Meet the Press was three conservatives or Republicans and one moderate <laughs> because you got to have balance. And uh, it was, you know, and, and David Brooks was talking about how politics rhymes because he was on there, too, because why wouldn't he be? Because, you know, over in England, they have this crazy socialist person running. Uh, so in, in America, we have Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. And it's just like, you know, this crazy populism and both sides, both sides. And uh, Sarah Fagan pipes in with, yeah, because the left has moved really hard to the left, haven't they? 
And Chuck, Chuck Tice says, well, just like the right has moved to the right. But it wasn't a correction. It was, we always wow. have to say, no matter what the fuck is actually going on, pardon my swearing, but this really does piss me off. No matter what happens, we have to say, you know, both sides are really equally extreme. Both sides are equally opposite. And to prove my point, J.C. Watts, a Republican Party houseplant, and Ron Paul, Rand Paul spokesperson, J.C. Watts. Now, they did identify him as that. They did. We'll give him credit for that much. J.C. Watts, uh, who was the black Republican for a really long time. Until I think he really had it. And now he just takes money from the people that he uh, used to uh, be elected by. But he's a Rand Paul spokesman. And he was on with Chris Matthews. And Chris Matthews, this is all in the pre-debate portion of our show. when I was just letting the ice melt a little bit in the whiskey. <laughs> um, and uh, in, in, in the pregame, Chris Matthews was yelling at people. He was asking them questions and then talking over them, as Chris Matthews does. And Chris Matthews made a good point. He said... Pointing to J.C. Watts, you people had a chance to stop Donald Trump five, six years ago. with his, When he was doing the birther This birther shit. You had a chance. You, you could have stepped up, but you liked it. It was working, and you all smirked about it. Um, uh, Boehner didn't say anything. McConnell didn't say anything. You were all perfectly happy as long as it was pointed outward, as long as he was going after the, the Kenyan usurper, you know? That's right. And, and now he's going after Fox News and fellow Republicans. Now it's all the end of the world. But you people could have stopped it, and you didn't. And J.C. Watts said, you know what? You're right. You're right. Um, we were all perfectly content to go along with this. Um, it, it's racist. It, this birth of stuff is racist, and we were all okay with it um, as long as he was going after liberals. Uh, but, yeah, now, now he's going after Republicans. Now it's bad. It's terrible. Pause for a beat. But, you know, Democrats do it too. And, and he didn't say do what? Do what? Do what? <laughs> What what conspiracy <laughs> what do, do we do? invent? What the fuck are you talking yeah. about? And there was this moment of silence where Chris Matthews looked at him and realized, oh, you just paid your mortgage. Yeah. This is what you, as a whore, this is what you have to do to, to make your, your nut every month. You have to go on television, suck Republican dick, blame Democrats for being equally crazy, and then you get paid by whoever's paying you this month. And Chris Matthews is pretty much in the same business. So – as they say, game recognizes game. And so they all sat there for what seemed like a really long time. And then Chris Matthews said, and eh, we have to move on now. But it was just this golden moment of pure, unadulterated, both-sider bullshit. Dropped like a turd on the stage and nobody touched it or talked about it. And that was, you know, that summed the week up. Because the reason they get away with this is because drilled into Jake Tapper and drilled into Chris Matthews and drilled into Chuck Todd is you never, ever just blame one side no matter how bad they are. And that's how they, that's how they came up with 11 lunatics on a stage throwing red meat to idiots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Drift Glass. And Kathleen Parker was pretty bad, too, but I'll talk about that some other time. You have a very good post that people should go read about Kathleen Parker and the dead parrot of rational conservatism, yes. and I hope that people will go and read that at driftglass.blogspot.com. All I will say is she's worried that if this goes mm-hmm. on, Rational conservatism might be in trouble. <laughs> and you said that parrot is dead. Yeah, parrot's been dead for 30 years. It's a dead parrot. <laughs> and Kathleen Parker, just to remind people, is the same person who declared rational conservatism dead five years ago. Yeah, when, when she got all those angry, hateful emails she said something, from people. She said something mean about, about Sarah Palin. And suddenly yeah. her email box was full of people calling her the same shit they've been calling us for 30 years. And that was, uh, oh my God. You're supposed to call liberals this shit, not me. And and then she had a she broke up with them, and then she got back together again with them, and now she's again fallen out of love with the Republican Party base, who are the people who pay her bills. So anyway, it's a fascinating column written by someone who has absolutely no business having a newspaper column. And speaking of which, I want to remind you, Blue Gal, that Ann Coulter is in fact um, um, uh, syndicated. In our local paper. Yes, it is. And Ann Coulter said something amazing this week. But it wasn't amazing because it's Ann Coulter. Oh, no. And and there's an I stand with Ann hashtag today mm-hmm. because of the I stand with Ahmed mm-hmm. hashtag. Now it's I stand with Ann yep. because, you know, she doesn't understand that. <laughs> she said she said something about the Jews. The effing That's Jews. That's all I'm going to say. Effing... I, I don't want to give her any no. air time. But on my she, show. she might as well have marched in the public square um, screaming white power. Yeah. Well, and that's the point. And, and the I stand with Anne hashtag is all about no more white apology. Right. 
and this bitch has a has a column that is syndicated in major papers all over the country because there is absolutely no consequence to being a horrible lying asshole if you're a conservative mm-hmm. in this country and it's time for that to be over yep yep just amazing amazing you know but i'm blue gal on the other hand i'm sure some liberal somewhere said something bad so you know equally both bad both sides equally yep. bad <laughs> Equally bad about how there aren't enough Jews in this country to matter. Or something. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week we have two Internet Kitties. They are Dasher and Bella. And I had to um, do a still shot from the video that Dan submitted. Um in this video, Dasher is sitting in a corner just waiting for Bella's attack mm-hmm. and winds up jumping up the wall and around Bella to get away from her and be and have a chasing game. Um, Dasher and Bella are non-siblings who have learned to coexist peacefully. Dasher is a superb hunter, slightly anxious, and bounces off walls. He is the de facto head of household. But Bella is sassy, playful, sociable, and does not tolerate disrespectful behavior from Dasher. Mm-hmm. Of course she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so I grabbed the um, moment at which Dasher scampers up the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and Bella is ready to attack. So go take a look at that picture at our Facebook page and website. And don't forget, you can send your internet kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us, um, Dasher and Bella were sent in July 31st, so that tells you kind of where we are in terms of the number of internet kitties we have waiting. I know we we never say waitlist no, on internet. No, no, we don't. It is there is a line of ascension. That's all. Yes, yes. <laughs> to the throne of internet kittydom, mm-hmm. and all kitties will have their time on the throne. They will. So they will. We will get there. Uh, feel free to write to us at proleftpodcast at gmail dot com. We do love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go Postal Unions! Letter on the air unless you say otherwise. Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage for yourself, buy one for us. Also, don't forget our Amazon link at our website, which I've actually added a larger button. Someone kindly wrote in to me and said, it's very hard to see your link on my tablet. Could you please make the Amazon link bigger? So I put a mm-hmm. picture, Amazon link picture there so people on tablets can see it. Yep. Oh, and, and uh, I put the code up finally at my site as well. Oh, good. So if you're listening yeah, to this at Drift Class, yeah. then just look to your right. <laughs> and uh, I, we have noticed... Um, Particularly this week, I have noticed uh, a lot of our listeners who shop at Amazon through our link are audiophiles. Yes. There's a lot of people buying speakers and uh, vinyl players and so forth. It doesn't surprise me mm-hmm. at all, but uh, that's very interesting. But whatever you're thinking of buying, we do believe in buying local. Yes, we do. Uh, but we also believe in shopping Amazon with our link if your alternative is a big box store. Yes, so we do. Thank you for doing that. It does bring revenue into our household, which we need. Yes, we do. Um, approximately 1% of our listeners support this podcast with an actual contribution, and you can too. See our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, for details. Both our PayPal and postal address information is there at professionalleft.blogspot.com. I have noticed uh, more people using their bank uh, as a monthly auto bill to, pay, to send us 5 bucks a month through the bank rather than through PayPal yeah, if they wanted to do that. That's fine. Um, the... the uh, bank pays the postage yeah. and mails us a check. So it's just like paying a bill. Save yourself so, some money. Yeah, that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And thank you to everyone that's done that. Um, I don't know if we're on our way to winning a plaque for the uh, podcast day, which is September 30th. But uh, we certainly do appreciate everyone rating our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Mm-hmm. Hey, Drift Class. Blue Gal. How are, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? You know, Blue Gal, the Internet Kitties are actually relieved. They never learned how to spell Pataki. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, dubbing. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. 
The Professional Level Podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license. Copyright 2015, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Drift Glass. Science Fiction University Dogface Herman sent us a Science Fiction University on Monsters and Metaphors, Drift Glass. Ooh. We like those, yeah. Yeah. And he sent this a couple weeks ago, so I want to get to this. It's awesome. All right. If I, if I may quote um, Ron Swanson. You always quote Ron Swanson. I do. I don't believe in metaphors. <laughs> that's, why, that's why Moby Dick is my favorite book. It's just a man <laughs> and a fish. Yes. All right. And everyone just kind of stared at him. Uh, name the movie or TV show and the monster or protagonist, and then identify the metaphor. All right. Number one. Does your car start, Les? No dice. Well, I don't know what's wrong. Nothing seems to be working. Can't even get the car started. Car started somehow. He got his car started. How come his car just up and started like that? All by itself. He wasn't anywhere near it. It just started all by itself. He never did come out to look at that thing that flew overhead. He wasn't even interested. He always was an oddball. Him and his whole family. Real oddball. And why didn't he come out with the rest of us to look? What do you say we go ask him? Oh, one of the great Twilight Zone episodes of all time. Uh, The uh, monsters are due on Maple Street. Yes. Yeah, that was a great one. That that really was science fiction at its best. Um, That um, that had to be um, conspiracy-mongering, McCarthyism, that kind of thing. How. You, you pit people against each other, play on their fears, and they'll tear themselves apart. And and I love how it goes with they're getting something that I'm not getting and I'm entitled to and they're not. It's yeah. that kind of thing, yes. We see that in today's politics quite a bit. Hmm. Well, and, and suspicions just kept flicking back and forth. Yeah. yeah. You know, when, when your lights go on, you're, you're, you're the hunted. Mm-hmm. And then your lights go off and his lights go on and suddenly you join the mob. Yeah. You forget what it was like instantly to be the hunted, and you you want to be a part of the lynch mob. Yep. And it's uh, and then of course the guns and hammers come out. Yeah, it's uh, it's a scary episode too because it's human nature <laughs> in yep. a way. All right, number two. Becky, almost five years. It's wonderful to be home again. Been away so long, I feel almost like a stranger in my own country. I hope you don't mind my coming without an appointment. Not at all. What do you have? We're pushing appendectomies this week. Oh, my. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I clown around too much. Pretty soon my patients won't trust me to prescribe aspirin for them. No, seriously, what's the trouble? It's my cousin. Wilma? What's the matter with her? She has a, well, I guess you'd call it a delusion. You know her uncle, Uncle Ira? Sure. I'm his doctor. Well, Miles, she's got herself thinking he isn't her uncle. How do you mean, that they're not really related? No, she thinks he's an imposter or something, someone who only looks like Ira. Have you seen him? I just came from there. Well, is he Uncle Ira or isn't he Uncle Ira? Of course he is. I told Wilma that, but it was no use. Please, would you stop by and have a talk with her? Oh, that was. this is the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes, it is. The original, um, which uh, I believe is at least partially based on a Robert Heinlein novel called The Puppet Masters. Everybody take a drink. Everybody take a drink. <laughs> um, and that's uh, that's sort of the, the also the menace within, the, the yeah. cults within. It's I think it's it's also a metaphor for McCarthyism. It could certain, be, yeah. Yeah. You know, the timing is right, 1956. Yeah. So. Enforced conformity and uh, the fear of, of your neighbors suddenly turning out to be your enemies. And uh, Dogface Herman asks, what would happen if you put a pod next to a sleeping Borg? 
Ooh. These are the questions that keep me up at night. Yeah. Alien versus Predator. Yeah. <laughs> There's your movie right there. <laughs> All right. Number three. Senator, it is a fact that mutants who have come forward and revealed themselves publicly have been met with fear, hostility, even violence. It is because of that ever-present hostility that I am urging the Senate to vote against mutant registration. To force mutants to expose themselves will only further... Expose themselves? What is it the mutant community has to hide, I wonder, that makes them so afraid to identify themselves? I didn't say they were hiding. Well, let me show you what is being hidden, Miss Gray. I have here a list of names of identified mutants living right here in the United States. Now, here's a, a girl in Illinois who can walk through walls. Now, what's to stop her from walking into a bank vault or into the White House or into their houses? And there are even rumors, Miss Gray, of mutants so powerful that they can enter our minds and control our thoughts, taking away our God-given free will. I think the American people deserve the right to decide whether they want their children to be in school with mutants, to be taught by mutants. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth is that mutants are very real, and they are among us. We must know who they are, and above all, we must know what they can do. Oh, that's... um. It's one of the X-Men movies. It is an X-Men movie. And it's about the gays. It's about, it's about civil rights and, broadly speaking, the rights of minorities. But um, coming as it did when it did, it, it's broadly interpreted as being about being gay. Yeah. <clears throat> and having to come out and being hated and finding and, – and really a very interesting take because one group says no, you know, the, the normals, the straights, the society can be saved. Mm-hmm. And the other group says, oh, no, no, no. We're in a war with them, and we need to win. Yep, yep. All right, let's try this one. Number four. I've known you a long time, Marge. I wouldn't risk a nickel on your temper or your cooking. But I bet my pension on your sanity. Oh, I almost wish I weren't sane. Because I... I saw... Now, now, now hold it, Marge. I said I believed in your sanity. That doesn't mean I believe everything you told me. You saw something tonight. I accept that. But there have been a lot of reports about landings on Earth from outer space. It might tie in. Might be a stereo. Then you really don't believe I saw anything tonight. I'm gambling that you did. Marge, you are in a state of shock. What you saw doesn't have to mean that Bill is changed or even inhabited. We've got to make sure. I can do it. Now, meantime, you go home to your husband. No, I can't. Marge, you've got to. Suppose you're right. If you don't go home, Bill will realize that you know. They'll be warned. We don't know what action they'll take. Swanson. Yes, sir. Take Mrs. Farrell home. Are you sure we're doing the right thing? You're sending me home to a... Marge. You've got to trust me. I do not know. <laughs> I should know. Well, uh, and if you guessed Invasion of the Body Snatchers again, I wouldn't, yeah. be, I wouldn't be surprised because it is a body, knockoff of... Body Snatchers 2. I don't yeah. remember that one. So. This one is from 1958. It's called I Married a Monster from Outer Space. Oh, yes. Clearly yeah. about communist invasion. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And this last one is a more recent movie and kind of tough. I don't think you'll get this one, but let's try it. Number five. Mr. Kim, I hate dust more than anything. I will clean again. You don't have to clean up now. Why don't you dump this first? That's pomerty. Formaldehyde, to be precise. To be even more precise, dirty formaldehyde. Every bottle is coated with layers of dust. Pour them into the sink. Excuse me. Just empty every bottle to the very last drop. 
It's just they are toxic chemicals, and the regulation states that... Pour them right down the drain, Mr. Kim. If I pour them in the drain, they run into the Han River. That's right. Let's just dump them in the Han River. But, you know, this is not just any toxic chemicals, so you The Han River is very broad, Mr. Kim. Let's try to be broad-minded about this. Hmm. Anyway, that's an order. So, start pouring. I have no idea what this is. It's a um, movie called The Host, and it's by director Junho Bong. Uh, it is a Korean movie. And interestingly enough, I'll show you the YouTube of this um, at the opening or in the opening of the trailer. You can identify Herschel from The Walking Dead. As oh, you. okay. In this Korean movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is uh, about, well, direct, here's what Dogface Sherman says. Director Jun Ho Bong insists this movie is not about American foreign policy. Rather, it's about environmentalism and the Korean government. However, the opening scene takes place on a U.S. Army base with Scott Wilson as a doctor that poisons the Han River, <clears throat> something that actually happened in Korea a few years earlier. Then there's a second scene with an American at the Han River when the monster first appears. <laughs> I won't yeah. say what happens in case you haven't seen the movie. But it makes me think that the monster is a metaphor for the United States of America. Uh-huh. Okay. Now, thank you, Dogface Herman, for those. Uh, we have an essay question for you, Drift Glass, uh, uh, second part of Science Fiction University. Oh, Lord. This is from Andrea. This is the good Andrea. Uh, the good Andrea. The good Andrea, not, <clears throat> not the other Andrea. And right. go look up Andrea on my blog if you want to talk about that. They may be the same person, but I'm just going to call this one the good Andrea. She's, this Andrea has sent me beautiful hand-spun yarn. And she's a spinner and a fiber gal, but she's also a podcast listener. Okay. And she writes, Hi, Blue Gal. My favorite science fiction university episodes involve Driftglass speaking at length and with enthusiasm about his favorite books, authors, movies, and actors. Now, I'm an English major and a former English teacher and a current adjunct instructor of English. Oh, crap. (laughs) So here is an essay question that I hope will encourage a good long discussion. We know that the ultimate purpose of science fiction is to offer different perspectives and perhaps to affect change, however small. Okay. Maybe. You yeah. want to you want to argue with her on that first of all? What is no. the ultimate purpose of science fiction drift glass? To uh sell science fiction stories and uh I thought it was to put boobies on the cover of a cheap paperback, but That is also a an important okay. feature of science fiction. <laughs> uh this Please discuss discuss three works of science fiction that you feel should have had a more significant impact on our culture than they have had. Including your answer, the factors that may have curbed the impact of the works you cite, use specific examples to support your points. Oh, Lord. Um, You can leave off those last two. I'm going to be judged. We're going to have time constraints. Okay. um, Works of science fiction that... Uh, and their impact on our culture, uh, positive or negative, uh-huh. uh, should they have more, should they have less? T- talk about that. Well, the, the, I'll leave aside the should have okay. um, <laughs> uh, for a moment, just for a moment. We're totally editing your question Yeah. on the uh, spot, Andrea. Just, just suit me. <laughs> I was up late last night listening to 11 science fiction characters ramble on about politics on mm-hmm. TV. So, mm-hmm. um the first one I would say, the first science fiction um, piece of science fiction I think has had uh, the most, the single most significant impact on culture. <clears throat> and by, by impact on culture, I don't mean buying Star Wars apparel mm-hmm. or TARDIS lunchboxes. Uh, although Doctor Who bids fair to be something that really has influenced the way people think. Um, I'd say Atlas Shrugged uh, is the most influential work of science fiction. You don't mean that in a good way, though. No, I mean that in a very, very bad way. Um, Atlas Shrugged is a book by Ayn Rand, which runs over a thousand pages, and it is uh, paper thin, cardboard characters yapping speeches out about the horrors of collectivism and government, and how um, only rugged individualists acting entirely on their own uh, can 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 save anything. Uh, in the end, the world is destroyed, etc. But it's a science fiction novel. 
It, it has death rays in it. It has invisible shields. It has magic metal. It has, uh, as I recall, uh, an engine uh, or a motor that can pull electricity directly from the air. And if you take any of these things out, the whole story collapses. Ergo, it is by definition a work of science fiction. Mm -hmm. It's also an apocalyptic work of science fiction because the world at the end is destroyed or it is shut down. Um, it has influenced more libertarian assholes than I care to think about. Uh, Paul Ryan um, pounds <laughs> pounds his staff on the head and forces them to read it. Uh, Rand Paul, who uh, isn't wasn't named for Ayn Rand, but kind of sort of thinks that maybe he was, uh, is another Randite jagoff. There's a mm -hmm. whole panoply. The half of the right wing of this country or more think of themselves as Ayn Rand. Um, the worst right-wing websites once Barack Obama was elected is told everyone to go Galt. Yeah. Uh, it didn't work because they have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. But um, it had – it was – there's a joke about you know the Lord of the Rings and Atlas Shrugged. Um, one of these is a, a, a fairy tale about a strange land full of weird creatures that 13-year-old boys obsess over and the other one has hobbits in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I've read Atlas Shrugged. I've read Atlas Shrugged a couple times uh, because I was a 13-year-old boy at one, time, at one point. Um, but I would say that it has had the most significant negative impact. Um, when, you think the, when you think of the fact that one of her acolytes was Alan Greenspan, mm -hmm. who has had a substantial effect both on our economy and our conversation about economics, right up to the point where all the banks failed. Yeah. And he said, oops. Sorry about that. Um, it, it had a horrifying impact on us, and it continues to do so. So that's number one on my list um, off the top of my head. One that should have had an impact on us and didn't uh, is the space merchants. And I would also throw in uh, something called the marching morons. Uh, for those of you who are fans of Idiocracy, which is a very fine movie that, that was made and then buried because <laughs> the people who – funded it suddenly realized oh you're you're making fun of us <laughs> uh, oh well that that will never fly idiocracy was a fine movie about a man a, a time traveler a guy who falls asleep or, or is, is frozen uh, and something goes wrong and he wakes up x number of hundreds of years in the future and the world is run by morons all the smart people are gone all the stupid people have had huge families and the world is overrun by idiots um, 50 years before that, there was a short story called The Marching Morons about a man who was frozen in an accident who wakes up several hundred years in the future and wakes up and finds the planet overrun by morons. Mm -hmm. um, there are slight differences in the plot, but the idea that stupid people shouldn't run things is something that you think we would have gotten by now. <laughs> uh, but the space merchants, and I, I pair these together, the space merchants uh, is a much more interesting text. Because it was written in the 50s. And you hear people discussing ideas like, you know, I think Tom Hartman, a political commentator, a political uh, radio broadcaster, talks about people wearing patches, forcing you know, senators or congresspeople to wear patches that – like a NASCAR person promoting what – which people own them. Yep. Which products and, and funders are they beholden to? Mm -hmm. And in The Space Merchants, people were just the congressman from Coca-Cola. Or the senator from Ford. Uh, they, they they were very clear. They were they were owned. They were voting. They they voted according to the corporations that owned them. It was a novel in which the advertising industry had taken over the world and destroyed it. And the mechanics of how advertisers thought about what problems were and how to solve them. What's wrong with stupid people? Stupid mm -hmm. people are great. <laughs> so stupid people make it much easier to sell things to them. So we should continually work hard to dumb down the population because that works great for us. Um, and the worst people, the, the underground, were the, cons the consies and they were the conservationists because they were concerned that the environment was destroyed, was, was being ruined by rampant capitalism and that nothing was being done about it and the earth was being made uninhabitable. And of course, they were despised outsiders who were hunted like the commies were. Uh, it was a, a vivid cautionary tale written by someone who had direct knowledge of how the advertising industry worked. And it was written over a half a century ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it really deserved a lot more attention than it got. A lot of science fiction deserved a lot more attention than it got. Um, it should have influenced our culture. It, you know, There's a lot of stuff in science fiction that should have awakened us to problems that are coming. Um, and have gotten here that were predicted or at least you know forecast to a certain degree 
decades ago. That's why it cracks me up when people um, who are writing political stuff for Salon or for The Atlantic or whatever suddenly discover science fiction. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, Frank Herbert is awesome. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, where were you 30 years ago? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's kind of frustrating. Um, and last but not least, I would include Star Trek, broadly speaking. Oh. Um, Star Trek as uh, – it, it was full of bad science fiction. <laughs> but um, Star Trek has had a really overall benevolent influence on our culture. It had it, it in a sense glorified nerds. It showed young black girls that they could become officers in yeah. the sp- in, in in Starfleet. Um, it showed children that there was a future in science and it showed people generally there was a future. There was a humane possible outcome to the human race that wasn't an apocalyptic hellscape uh, from which there was no possibility of ever turning our heads. And so uh it it uh it did influence. I know lots of people went into um, engineering and math and science and made it all the way into NASA. Um, Mae Jemison, the astronaut who appeared on Star Trek, The Next Generation, said her inspiration was um, Nichelle Nichols. Yeah. And Nichelle Nichols' inspiration for staying on the damn show <laughs> when she was getting her lines cut by William Shatner every week was that Martin Luther King told her, please stay on. Please don't quit. You have no idea the impact you're having on us. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine a television show having that kind of impact anymore. But broadly speaking, as a work of science fiction, um, it, it worked really well. And there's, but there's a long list of shouldas. Dune as a as a as a metaphor for dependence on oil and environmental degradation and the importance of paying attention to the environment and um, the danger of fanaticism. You know, a lot of stuff that we're living with right now was an excellent book and should have yeah. paid closer attention to. But those are my those are the ones I think either should have influenced us or did both in a really negative and a really positive way. Thank you. That's my presentation. I will I will submit my citations and footnotes for great. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Andrea, and thank you, Dogface Terman, and thank everyone for listening. Mm-hmm. I love you, Drift Glass. Love you, Blue Gal. Yeah. We'll see you again next week with Science Fiction University. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.